Hello, patrons. Uh, it's Rose, and it is Monday night, and this is the bonus podcast for last week's episode uh, about eyes in the sky, sort of satellite imagery. Um, I am sorry that this bonus episode is so, so late. The next episode goes up tomorrow. I just finished it. Um, last week just like kind of got away from me. Uh, I had a bunch of deadlines. Um, ironically, one of them was a piece about burnout, which I'm like kind of edging into at this moment, which is probably part of why this uh, bonus episode is so late. Um, and then, you know, I wanted to talk in the episode about the fires in the Amazon. So I did a ton of extra reading about them and research. I just got like really bummed out about all of it. Um, and now here we are and it's Monday night and I'm going to get this out before the next episode goes up. But um, sorry that it's so late. Oh, also, this was the one debate where the actors didn't really get into much of an argument during the recording. So I don't have any extra bits to play for you from the teens for that one. Um, hopefully today, tomorrow's episode will make up for it because that one's really good. Um Nobody has mentioned that this bonus podcast did not come out. So I don't know if that means that you all are very kind and patient or if that means that like no one listens to these. But um, like I think I've mentioned Patreon gives me zero information about if anyone listens to these bonus podcasts. But anyway, here we are. We're going to get it done. So on this bonus episode that is very late, uh, I'm going to talk about the Amazon fires, what you can do if you do not live in Brazil to kind of help out, um, and about how governments suppress certain imagery from satellites. Um, and then at the end, I will talk about what I am reading as usual, and I will tell you a little secret. Um, okay, let's just start with the fires in the Amazon. It is very bad. Uh, there have been 57,509 fires in the Amazon in 2019. Um, for context, that is 77% higher than usual. Uh, so there's just like a lot, a lot more. Um, and these are not accidental forest fires like, you know, in California or other places that you might be more familiar with. Um, most of these fires were set on purpose in the last month by ranchers and farmers to clear land. Um, and in some ways, like, this is not really a surprise. Um, Brazil's president, uh, Jair Bolsonaro, was elected last October. Uh, and as part of his campaign, he promised to let industry have much more access to the forest. Um, and for ranchers and farmers uh, to use that forest, they have to clear it. And the fastest way to do that is to set it on fire. So this is, again, like, not particularly surprising to folks who follow Bolsonaro, follow what's going on in Brazil. Um, now, Bolsonaro, for those of you who do not know, is a far right-wing leader who has some uh, really alarming policies. So he is a climate change denier. He's extremely homophobic. He's against gay marriage. He's against abortion. He doesn't believe that women should be paid as much as men. Um, the list kind of goes on and on. Uh, and when it comes to the Amazon, he is extremely on the side of agribusiness. And honestly, like, couldn't really care less about the indigenous people who live there, it seems. Um, or about the forest's importance in, like, I don't know, the entire globe's climate system. But, like, you know, no big deal. Whatever. It's fine. We don't need it. Uh, we do absolutely need it. Um, I also want to say that these fires are about more than just saving the trees, which um, is important to say. Like, I see a lot of posts on social media and stuff being like, oh, no, the trees. Um, 
And I think it's really important to note that, like, it's not just about the trees. It's also that there are, like, a lot of indigenous people who live in the Amazon, and it's important to listen to them. And the indigenous Brazilians are kind of leading the protests against Bolsonaro right now. Um, So when you are doing your own research on this, which you should do, this is just sort of a primer, I would encourage you to seek out um, sources that are members of the indigenous communities there. Um, So the Articulation of Indigenous Peoples in Brazil is one group, and they've put together a list of steps that they are calling for from allies. Um, and I will link to that in the notes for this episode. Um, so please do go look at stuff like that. Um, they are calling for a certain boycott of companies and industries, and you can get all the information um, in that link. I know that there's like a lot going on in the world, uh, a lot of bad things. And in situations like this, um, it can feel really hard to actually be able to do something, especially if you live really far away. So like for me, I often am like, well, like there's so many things and like it just feels like you're hopeless, like you can't do anything. But in this case, you actually really can help. Um First, you know, donating to indigenous organizations is really important. Um, They need resources right now. Um, You can call on your government officials to publicly denounce Bolsonaro, which does make a difference. Um, And the big thing is a lot of people, a lot of indigenous folks are calling for a boycott um, of Brazilian products. So if you don't live in Brazil, boycotting Brazilian products, sort of like writ large. Um, People were doing all of those things last week, and it did work to some extent. So a few days ago, Bolsonaro announced that he was going to send 44,000 troops into the Amazon to fight the fires. Um, I'm going to reserve judgment on whether that was a fully good thing until we get a little more information. Um, Bolsonaro is a military-loving fascist who would love any excuse for violence against indigenous people. So to me, sending in the military is not necessarily a completely good thing. Um, Only time will tell there, and maybe I'm just being like completely paranoid, but it is worth continuing to pay attention to what's going on in the Amazon. Um, I know there are like so many things to pay attention to right now, but we should at least try a little bit. And the Amazon is like extremely important um, to the people there and to the globe. So it's worth like really trying to pay attention and keep, keep a tabs on what's going on. Um, Okay, now for stuff that I cut from the episode. Um, One of the things that I had in the episode last week um, and that I sort of cut out was a section about how governments try to keep people from seeing certain things on satellite imagery. I was actually, I think I noted in the episode, surprised that it was really easy for me to see Guantanamo Bay. Um, Not like in super high detail, but, you know, I could definitely still see it. Um, But there are lots of ways that governments try and keep people from seeing certain things on something like Google Earth or even some of these more commercial satellites. So there is a law called the Land Remote Sensing Policy Act, which was passed in 1992. And that says that private companies can take satellite imageries of Earth from space. So it basically said, like, you can't stop these companies from taking pictures. Um... In 1992, that was like basically theoretical. Like it was there were not you know companies like there are now out with their satellites in space taking photos. Um, and since then, since 1992, as satellites have gotten more powerful and more abundant, um, this law has been kind of like updated as as we've gone along. So now there is an amendment called the Kyle Bingaman Amendment, uh, which says that U.S. companies can't release images of Israel and the occupied territories. Um, that is something we will not get into right now, but is a kind of a hot button issue. You can Google to find out more about that um, on either side of the debate on that one. Um, Another update to the law added something called shutter control, which basically gives government the ability to tell companies that they have to stop taking or disseminating pictures of certain things. Like they can literally just be like, hey, you know, you need to close your little satellite eyeball over this section. Um, 
Um, most of the time, though, governments don't use that kind of top-down control in part because it's like not that effective necessarily. You can do that, you know, a U.S. the U.S. government can do that to a U.S. company, but if the company is not a U.S. company, they don't actually have to abide by American laws. Um, so instead of doing that, do, sort of utilizing that shutter control. Countries tend to be a little bit more sneaky. So like the U.S., for example, what they'll do is they'll just buy up exclusive rights to the images taken by private satellites of certain regions. Like they'll just say, like, we own these now. And so you just can't you can't see them, not because they don't exist, but because the government just buys them all um, and, and hoards them away and keeps them from you. So after 9-11, for example, uh, the American government bought all of the high resolution images of Afghanistan coming in from one of the like big satellites at the time. Uh, so nobody else could use or see them. In other cases, the government does this thing where they basically say that satellite companies can't release high-definition versions of their data. So, you know, a satellite might be able to pick up information or images at a really high resolution, like a one-meter resolution, um, but the government will say things like, okay, well, yeah, you can have a picture of maybe Guantanamo Bay, but it can't be at one-meter resolution. It has to be at, you know, a much lower resolution, a lower quality, so you can't really zoom in and get details. Um also, the military often gets priority on certain satellites, which means that if you are trying to look somewhere that the military also wants to look, you kind of have to get in line behind them, and the chances that you will get to do that is low. So, like, right now, you know, if you're trying to use an American satellite, chances of you as a private person or even as a researcher getting images of, say, Syria or North Korea, um, relatively low because you are, like, last in line. Um, but a lot of these rules, like they only apply to U.S. companies, um, and there are plenty of current and future satellites that are being launched by people who are not U.S., who are not from the United States, who are not companies based in the U.S. And those private companies, um, they can basically do whatever they want, right? They can't, they don't have to, like I said, they don't have to abide by American laws. Um, so that means that a private company could take images of your house and sell it to the highest bidder. And that is totally fine. And there's actually like no real law to stop them from doing it. Um, in some cases, interestingly, I found this really interesting. And so in some cases, companies apparently claim that the Outer Space Treaty gives them free reign because the satellites are in space and not on Earth. Um, and they basically say like, oh, well, you know, we're governed by the Outer Space Treaty, not by like sort of terrestrial laws. Um, which is kind of funny because like, yes, your satellite is in outer space, but it's not being used to study space. It's being used to look at Earth, which the Outer Space Treaty doesn't really cover. So it's kind of this like funny little loophole thing that I think we haven't really seen play out in courts or anything, but is kind of interesting to me as like this funny logical loop that people will use to kind of justify what they're doing. Um, so it kind of remains to be seen what is going to happen as sort of more and more commercial satellites get put up into space and have these really high resolution images. Um, there are some fun websites where you can poke around and see what satellites are taking pictures of right now. Um, and also you can kind of sometimes deduce like who is looking for what if you look at sort of like the requests. Um, I will post some links to those sites in the notes of this episode. Okay, that is the bit that I cut. Um, we've talked about the rainforest. Um, and that's like really all I have for you on this very belated behind the scenes episode. Um, so time to go on to the books, the books that I'm reading. Right. Okay. So right now I am reading the book club book, the flash forward book club book, Because Internet by Gretchen McCulloch. And it's great. It's super fun. Um, super quick read. I've been really enjoying it. Um, and she's great. Um, and those of you who are in the book club, um, get your questions in because I am going to see Gretchen soon in person. I'm very excited and we're going to sit down for an interview there. Um, so I'm very excited. I'll see her in Portland when I go up there for a conference called XOXO. If any of you are going to be there, say hi. Um, I am also reading 
Binti by Nettie Okorafor, which is a sci-fi African futurism book. Um, it's really short and I've like had it on my shelf for a million years and for some reason just like never quite made time for it. So I'm probably going to finish it today. And I'm also reading this book called The Changeling by Joy Williams, um, which is like kind of old. I mean, like it's not old, old. It's published in 1978. I just mean that it's like not in the last couple of years been published. Um, and it's like, it's super interesting. It's sort of this like, mm, almost like magical realism, but not quite. Um, it's amazing. The writing is so beautiful and lovely and I'm really loving it so far. Um, I actually read about it in, um, Kelsey McKinney's newsletter. She does this newsletter about reading, uh, books written by women. And I've found so many interesting books that I had never heard of in that newsletter. So if you like books and you like reading books by women, definitely check out her newsletter. It's called Written Out. Um, and you can find it at kelseymckinney.substack.com. Um, I'll link to it in the show notes also for this bonus podcast. Um, okay. That I'm reading a bunch of other books or like I'm, I'm dipping in and out of a bunch of other books that are on my desk that I'm kind of poking in, in and out of for research, but they're not, I'm not like really reading them in the way that I'm reading the other ones. So that's what I'm properly reading this day, these days. Um, okay. So I will close this short and belated episode with a secret as always. Um, my secret is, so a couple of months ago, I went, some friends invited me and my partner to a roller skating uh, event. So basically in the city in San Francisco by where I live, um, there is like a, what they call the church of eight wheels. And it is literally uh, an old church and you can go and there's like a DJ and you can rent skates and people skate in a circle and people like can dance and they have like skates that light up. And I am not a skater of any kind. I'm not very good at all. But I had such a good time. I got like very into it. Um, it's terrible still. Not very good at it. But for some reason, I just like really spoke to me and I was like, this is gonna be this is so fun. Um, and I was like, what if I became a person who can dance on roller skates? Like that would be so cool. Um, I Maybe you don't think that's cool, but I thought that was like really cool and it seemed just like really fun and like a really fun thing to do. So I went on eBay and I bought myself some roller skates for very cheap and they came in the mail and they definitely don't work very well <laughs> because they are very cheap. Um, but they're really cute and they, I think they need new bearings, uh, because they make all sorts of noises when I skate on them. I truly, I think they are actually from the seventies and I do not think that anyone really used them in the seventies, nor have they used them since the seventies. So they smelled extremely weird. Um, not like feet smell. Like really, I don't think anyone really wore them more than like a couple times, but they just smelled like something that has been sitting in your grandma's attic for like 30 years or more. Um, and so I breezed the heck out of them and, uh, they are now clean and I put them on and I skated around in my driveway and I still am not very good. And I, they definitely need a little bit of work and updating, but I have this mission to be able to dance on roller skates by the end of the year, at least like nominally be able to like not fall on my face every time I try to do something. Um, and I will let you know how it goes. I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos about this and about how to uh, skate. My favorite one is this woman who um, she teaches you how to skate um, in the YouTube video and her thing, she'll talk about like keeping your core or stomach tight, but she calls it the snack area. She'll be like, all right, knees bent, chin up, snack area tight. Uh, which I think is great. And now I will only refer to my stomach as my snack area. Um, okay, that is it. I will keep you all updated on how the roller skating adventure goes um, and how whether I hurt myself. Um, don't worry, I did purchase wrist guards. So I'm good. I'm not going to break my wrists. Um, and I will be practicing in my driveway. 
uh, for the next couple months, I'm sure. So that's my secret. I am, I've gotten very excited about roller skating. Um, okay. Well, you'll hear from me tomorrow with the next episode. And then shortly after that, with the bonus episode for that next episode, I promise it will not be almost a week late this time. Um, and I will, uh, talk to you all soon. Bye.